Welcome to PD Insider, the podcast edition. In each episode, we bring you conversations with experts in the law firm professional development community so that you can stay current on industry trends, topics, and innovations. In this episode, PLI's Craig Miller speaks with Ann Gomez, the founder of the global training organization, Clear Concept Inc. Ann candidly explores the keys to leading successful hybrid teams, building trust and connections, fostering engagement, meaningful work, and the importance of autonomy, along with other useful insights. Welcome, Ann. I'm pleased to see you. Thank you, Craig. I'm pleased to be here. The focus of today's conversation is high-performing teams in a hybrid workplace. It seems that we've been through three phases of work during the pandemic. That is to say, at first, we were in our usual office environment until most lawyers and staff who could fled in mid-March of 2020. At that point, those who were fortunate enough took up their positions working from home. Then, around September of last year, we started to see hybrid schedules, which persisted until the Omicron surge. So three distinct modes of working, Mm -hmm. office, virtual, hybrid. Would you agree that's where it's been and where do you see it all going? Absolutely. And so we've been working in the office together for years, if not decades, and we got really good at that. And then practically overnight, as you said, so many teams went virtual. And we've demonstrated over the last two years that we can do that very effectively. And there's great research to support that virtual work can be very effective. Well, now this pendulum is swung back into the middle and hybrid, which looks different for every single team, is, is I would say, the hardest of the three models. And the, the, the key differentiator that makes it so challenging is that hybrid teams have people experiencing different realities in their workplace. There were some biases to overcome. There are some it, uh, hybrid work requires a more conscious and deliberate approach. And savvy leaders recognize that this does require a new skill set. So I think that's very important to understand that it, it is something new and different, and it does require specific emphasis and uh, focus to address it properly. That being said, is the hybrid team concept here to stay? Absolutely, yes. This is not a fad. This is the future of work. And, you know, if I was to invest, if this was the digital, uh, the, the, the cryptocurrency equivalent of investment, I would say double down on hybrid teaming skills. Absolutely. We've demonstrated that teams can collaborate in a virtual world. That is the foundation to setting us up for hybrid teaming going forward. Well, in that case, we better get good at hybrid teaming. So what are the main challenges that hybrid teams will face? Such a good question, because we do need to recognize that there are challenges so that that, recognition is the first step before we invest in our skill development. So one of the biggest challenges is feeling isolated, feeling disconnected. So we want to be very conscious about the need for connection. We're social beings as humans. We want to be connected. And that is so crucial in the workplace, not just in our personal lives. Uh, So when we don't have those great connections, when we don't have the opportunity as leaders to show up and say, hey, I'm really excited about this project and thank you for that great work, then there can be lower engagement. And we can experience bias, as I've hinted about, where those who are in the office, I might assume they're working harder than those who are working at home, which is, you know, and FaceTime is not a good indicator of work effort. 
there's digital exhaustion. There is a, a, this challenging separation between work and home. We're not, you know, for many people, they're not working at home, they're living at work. And all of this leads to this great resignation that so many of us have been trying to navigate through where people think the grass may be greener somewhere else. So maybe I'll just look around and see what my opportunities are. And the switching costs are very low. So that's one of the reasons why we're seeing people jump. You know, that makes a lot of sense. You know, another cohort that has been sort of recognized and uniquely affected during the uh, circumstances of the last couple of years really have been... uh, you know, the issues facing parents and other caregivers. What do you see is happening with these groups and how could hybrid teaming help to overcome the bias perhaps associated with those who come into the office and those who have circumstances that keep them remote? Well, thank you for asking that question because it is so important for us to recognize that a new-ish form of bias is presenting. I call it FaceTime bias, where someone who's in the office will be perceived, this data to support this, that they are working harder and they are more committed to the organization than those working virtually. And that's not true. FaceTime is not an accurate indicator of work effort. So the first thing is to recognize that this bias can exist. The second thing is to recognize that it's not an equal playing field in terms of who's coming into the office more often when there is that um, choice put out there for the team. So those with Um, young children at home or in elderly caregiving roles, as you discussed, those who are in a lower socioeconomic uh, status, they are choosing to work virtually. So what happens is the, you know, for example, uh, young single men who are going into the office don't have the constraints that some of their, their colleagues have. Those are the ones who are given more access to opportunities. They hear more of the key messages. They are perceived to be working harder. So guess what's happening in a year or two from now? They're getting the promotions. So we've got to really be aware and address this bias. And how do we do that? We are very conscious as leaders of where we share information and who we share it with to make sure that we're doing so in a very equitable way, to be very conscious of who we're sharing opportunities with. And again, making sure we're not defaulting to giving more access to opportunities to those in the office. The more cautious we are about this, the more we make conscious choices about how we eradicate that FaceTime bias. So it's really important to recognize the pitfalls and the potential pitfalls surrounding this new formation for work. So how do teams go about overcoming them? Well, Thankfully, there are a ton of great strategies we can employ to overcome them. And I'm really optimistic about this new, fresh approach to how we work. I'm very passionate about high-performance teaming and creating an optimal culture where people can thrive. And I believe that hybrid is that disruptor. This a global Microsoft uh, study referred to hybrid work as a disruptor. And I love that term because it gives us a chance to revisit how we work together. And there's this opportunity for us to not just reclaim what we had in the office, but to go bigger, go better. So what can we do? Well, there's really four key aspects of teaming. And that would be sitting on top of a foundation of investing in well-being. Our workplaces have gotten a lot better about recognizing that people show up there. You know, we are, we're not robots that show up to work and where we park our personal life. Our, our energy levels, our mental health, our overall well-being are essential. So that's the key foundation. On top of that, there's four teaming principles, trust and connections, engagement, 
autonomy and meaningful work. And a nice way to remember that is the TEAM acronym, Trust, Engagement, Autonomy, Meaningful Work. Oh, that's great. That's great. And that, that's really helpful. So now let's break that down, that four-part construct of how hybrid teams you know, can succeed. And I think everyone's been looking for a formula for success when it, when it comes to this new development. But first, you mentioned trust and connections. It seems intuitive, but can you expand on it? Absolutely. So one of my favorite studies that I've referenced uh, in all of our uh, kind of exploring into high-performance teaming is a study that looked at low-performance teams versus high-performance teams. And what they found on the low-performance team was that the connections between different team members was spotty. Some connections were fantastic. Like, Craig, maybe you and I were team colleagues that we've, you know, we've worked together for multiple years. We have fun together. We connect. We, you know, I turn to you to say, hey, do you want to join this project with me? So you're getting the great opportunities. We're having fun. So we've got a really strong bond. But maybe there's that newer team member or even that team member we've been working with for years where I, yeah, I say hi to them when we're in a meeting, but I don't reach out proactively. And I've got a pretty weak, I don't know anything about their personal life. Like I just don't have a strong connection with them. And that's just one example, right? So you can imagine all the connections across the team. Low performance teams have silos, they have cliques, they have people who are on the in, they have people who feel lonely, feel disconnected, feel like they're kind of on the periphery versus a high performance team. All the connections are robust and strong, all of the connections. And one of the one of my favorite analogies for a high-performance team is a really strong rope. Every single interaction with someone is like a thread in that rope. And the goal is to lay down you know, a robust number of optimal connections with other people. And as that rope gets stronger and stronger, you can have some healthy debate because trust is high. And so we have the ability to have healthy debate and our, our relationship, our connections can still be strong. That's great. I mean, so some of the issues that persist across, whether you're in the office, you're out of the office uh, working, it's just new strategies are required in order to overcome those kinds of barriers. So what are some activities that hybrid teams can undertake to regularly engage and feel more a part of each other? So great question. So the goal here is to reclaim that proverbial water cooler. There's a lot of power in passing someone in the hall and saying, hey, how did that client presentation go? And to just to have that, that quick interaction. So those micro connections are so powerful, even outside of our colleagues too, the micro connection with the, the barista at your favorite coffee shop. These are very important for us as whole beings. And, and obviously, and you touched on it, there are all kinds of tools available to help make those connections, whether they're uh, synchronous types of communication or other types, you know, where you're not getting a direct response to something, but you're checking in and you're letting people know that you're there and that you care. You know, particularly, you know, tool platforms like uh, Slack, direct messaging, would you, would you agree that they do give you that opportunity, you know, to interact? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we want to de definitely take advantage of asynchronous tools because there is uh, video fatigue. You know, at the same time, email volume is going up. So this is an opportunity to have some, to establish some team norms. So some of the, my favorite norms are to be clear on when you're going to use email versus when you're going to have a conversation, a meeting, a synchronous discussion, or when you're going to use text or chat. Another key rule that I really try and advocate is to use delivery delays. 
let's face it, this is a demanding industry and people work well into the evenings and on the weekend. But for the more we can avoid sending emails, evenings and weekends, the more we're honoring the need for people to have essential time to disconnect and refresh and re-establish re, um, their energy levels. If you as a leader send an email to someone and you say, don't worry about it, send it, respond to me on your time. People listen to what you do, not what you say. If you're sending emails at 10 p.m., they feel the need to be online at 10 p.m. Use a delivery delay. That's very insightful because I actually have seen some people starting to include in their email or even in like the signature tag language, the effect of, you know, we, we're a global organization that works across many time zones and an immediate reply is not expected. You know, that, I, I've actually seen people utilize that to sort of send that message. You, you mentioned the role of a leader, you know, and how important it really is to sort of model the, the, uh, the behavior as opposed to just, you know, speak to the behavior. But one very tangible thing that occurs in uh, the hybrid workplace is leading a meeting when mm -hmm. some of the team is together in the conference room or in the office and you know, perhaps even socially distanced, but still in the same room and, uh, and others are in remote entirely. So that, that's kind of a new level of, of interaction. Can you comment on any insight into doing that? Absolutely. So this is something that we really need to step it up. And I was an in-person meeting attendee about six months ago. So well into the pandemic. And there were three people who were virtual attendees. And it really dawned on me about what a terrible job we were doing. So some of the things that we have to overcome is one, uh, the goal is for everyone to have as close to an equal experience as possible. So if we just have the one webcam in the corner of the boardroom and the virtual attendees can see you, but you're kind of the size of an ant and then you can barely see them, this is not creating an equal experience. I can't read the expression of my, my virtual colleagues. So ideally, as, as much as it seems a little bit like Star Trek, ideally we each have our own webcam. Even for those sitting in the meeting. So I could be sitting across from you in the boardroom, but I have a webcam and you have a webcam. That helps to create an equal experience with our virtual colleagues. And so, and I'm seeing everyone's expressions. So that's key. The other thing is, as much as, you know, I, I actually saw someone hug a flip chart because they're like, oh, flip charts, I miss you. We need to get away from flip charts. Virtual flip charts, virtual notes so everyone can contribute and everyone can see the notes because the virtual people, they cannot read the, the flip chart. An offline chat is also very powerful. The banter within the room will still happen. People will have sidebar conversations. Someone will throw something out, kind of they'll, they'll, they'll mumble it. Like it's just that. And then everyone in the room hears it and erupts into laughter, but the virtual people didn't catch it. So those chats can allow for you to share the joke, share the sidebar conversation. And for the virtual people to say, hey, I, I missed that. Can you tell me I'm trying to contribute when you call out to the group for comments, turn to the virtual people first. When you're doing breakouts, mix up in-person and virtual people. Start on time. People in the room tend to come on time, have their five, 10 minutes of chat, and then say, oh, we should turn on the video. Well, the video people have been sitting waiting there. Make sure you include them in that upfront chat. And of course, we're seeing many organizations really upgrade their technology so that the virtual people, it feels like they're right there in the room. There's some great technology out there. They're not on the screen way off in the distance and we forget about them. 
You know, that's very important. I, I think that uh, real mindset change for, for everybody who's participating in the meeting, but particularly those who are on site, recognizing that there are special and specific needs uh, for those who are not in the room and making sure that they do have the capability to participate on an equal uh, basis. And whatever technology can do to enable that or whether, whether whatever we can do as those who are in the room to open the space to make sure that they can get in. That's really important. We've been talking a lot about connections uh, between people on the team, but in the team model, you also quite smartly talk about autonomy. How is autonomy important to the success of the hybrid team? Well, autonomy is one of our core human needs, and you start to see it presenting you know, when kids are 18 months old, two years old, and they insist that they do it themselves. And we're, we're, we don't stomp our feet and have temper tantrums in the office. We're much more kind of professional about it. But the same thing is going on inside of us. We want autonomy. And there's a lot of talk about hybrid work. Employees want hybrid work. That's actually not exactly accurate. The truth is what people want is flexibility. So we've worked through, so with so many teams, working virtually, where they've had the flexibility to drop their kids off at school or be home for the delivery or whatever that may be, people very much value that flexibility. We've proven that we can work very productively, very effectively virtually. So the more we empower our very talented, uh, skilled, and dedicated teams to have choice, the more empowered they will feel. So autonomy is a key human need. Now, of course, we need to make sure that business needs drive our hybrid model. But this is something that as a team, you can co-create. You know, your hybrid model as a leader, we don't want to mandate that and have strict rules about when you're in the office and when not. We want to create co-create that together. And when people feel part of the solution, they will effectively balance the business needs and their personal goals or needs. So those are really important points making sure that we're still driving the business forward, that we're performing the client work in terms of client's expectations is very important. But in order to get people into that right space, making sure that they've got the flexibility that they need to address all of the issues in their life is a key component of making that succeed. It is. It really is. It's a great way to retain top talent is to support them in balancing their personal needs and their professional goals. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, it also makes me think about, you know, the topic of meaningful work. I mean, we've seen data and we've heard from our guests on PD Insider that many lawyers and law school graduates particularly are emphasizing their values first in the workplace, Mm -hmm. perhaps more so as a result of the pandemic and other social uh, issues that have come forward or been highlighted in the last couple of years. Do you find that to be the case? And and what are the implications for the firm? And, you know, how does it align with the business priorities of the firm? There is absolutely a trend towards people insisting on meaningful work. I think back to when I first started as a management consultant over two decades ago, I, I, I felt like I was lucky to be there. And if they asked me to jump, I was going to say how high. Right. And I literally had a leader say to me, um, you're a clone and there's a thousand clones lined up behind you if you're not interested in doing this. So I didn't have that power. The workplace is shifting where the up and coming generation, the millennials, which is making up more and more of our, our workforce, are so much more astute and wise than I was when I started working oh, oh so many years ago. They want to attach purpose. They want meaningful work. 
to what they do, what they spend so much of their energy are energy on, you know, no amount of you know, dollars will compensate for someone seeking out meaningful work. That's a core human need. Yeah, dollars do help, but that core, that is not hitting a core human need. Meaningful work is hitting a core human need. And for all of us, the pandemic has very much reminded us that life is fragile and that we want to really evaluate where we're spending so much of our time and energy. So meaningful work is absolutely very prominent on all of our radar screen right now. I think in the list of demotivational uh, statements, I think you are a clone could be right there at the top. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was almost so horrible. It, it's funny. In a, in a uh, very, don't do that kind of way, right? Let's right. And, and that also, of course, adds to the stress that people would yeah. experience if their boss expressed that kind of sentiment to them. In, in the current circumstances, we see heightened awareness and discussion about the stress employees experience through the question of well-being. What exactly should we be doing in the workplace to support employee well-being? Yes. And, and the first thing I would say to tie into the last point is that, you know, on top of meaningful work, we all want to feel that we are valued and that our work has value. So recognizing people, catching people doing things right, being vo very vocal with your appreciation it is so essential to engaging people, helping feel connected, feeling like they're, they're making a difference. So all of those strategies are very important. And that helps, the, the more our, our work culture helps us feel, like fill our core human needs, the, the, the more that contributes to positive well-being. Now, we all know there are other factors related to well-being, like getting a full night of sleep and, 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 and getting rid of this very antiquated, oh, sleep later. Sleep, is, sleep is, is not considered a strength. We want to get rid of that, get that out of the workplace. So a, a complete night of sleep. For me, Craig, it, that's eight and a half hours. That's what I need to thrive. And we want a workplace that really honors sleep and protects sleep. Exercise, right? So as leaders, go for a run at lunch and tell everyone or talk about the yoga class that you go to. Say, sorry, I can't meet after, after five today. I'm going to a yoga class. Like, Be very vocal as leaders. Mm -hmm. and consider having breakout conversations as, uh, as a team about what are you doing to support your well-being. The more we talk about it, the more we are encouraging it across our team. And it's very important. Like you said before, unless the leaders actually model the yes. behavior, then it, it, it doesn't really take off. And uh, you know, when we talk about all of these elements, you know, it comes to my mind, and also because it's been a special challenge, I think, during the pandemic in all of its phases, is you know, how, can, how can firms benefit from the team model in onboarding their new talent? Because that, that has been a, a, special, uh, a special concern when people started their new jobs remotely really important question. And we have to be so deliberate about creating a great onboarding experience. You know, new team members feel disconnected. They're looking to find their footing. So we absolutely, again, want to be very conscious and deliberate about how we onboard new team members. It's easy to go through the obvious things that new team members need to know, but we want to go so much farther than that with the, the, the wider range of, of mentors and uh, helping them get connected. And once you get through that, it's so important to help your new team members find their footing and build their confidence. So find opportunities for them to shine. Can they lead 
a, a part of a meeting that really draws on their past expertise? Where are you able to recognize them? This is so important for them to just get into their groove and build their confidence. No matter how senior they are, imposter syndrome is alive and well in the legal industry, like every other industry. And so we really want to help them see that their work is valued and that they are valued. So once again, the role of leadership is critical to addressing that, that particular issue. And the pandemic, of course, has compounded it because people with small children who may not be eligible for vaccination have a special level of concern about uh, going out and coming home. People taking care of elderly relatives, perhaps, or others, you know, also have a special uh, issue with the pandemic and, and transmissibility and that kind of thing as well. So, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a big issue. Mm-hmm. You know, the business of being a law firm, though, is a tough one. And, and firms do compete. You know, they compete for talent. They compete for clients. Is there a tension between those two things? And how does the hybrid team or hybrid work scenario really play into all of that? So, yes, law firms do need to be customer focused and, and responsive uh, because you're right. It is very competitive out there. The number one way to strengthen what you go to market with is to create a culture where your team thrives. And so everything that we've talked about is how you inoculate yourself against uh, competitive threats. So trust, engagement, autonomy, meaning, and a focus on well-being. Now, with that said, I'm a firm advocate that business needs do need to drive your team's hybrid model. And so once again, I go back to have a conversation as a team to co-create your hybrid model. And this is where you can incorporate your team's personal goals with what your client needs are. And that is where you come to a sweet spot where your team feels that they've been heard, understood. They don't have to get their way on everything, but they feel like they've been part of the solution. And that is what creates a high-performance culture, which your clients very much will see, appreciate, and be loyal to you as a result. That's a great point. And, you know, the success of the individual, the the success of the team, and the success of the firm in serving their clients all has to sync up. So, So thank you, Anne. Thank you very much for your insights today. My pleasure. This was such a fun conversation. It was our pleasure. It was great. I'd like to thank my guest, Anne Gomez, founding president of Clear Concept, Inc., for sharing her insights. We look forward to you joining us for another edition of PLI's PD Insider. This is Craig Miller of the Practicing Law Institute. Thank you. Be well.